Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you? Very good. Good. Uh, I understand there is uh, an anniversary of sorts today. Yeah. Is it one year? Yesterday, one, yeah. Only one year when they left uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah. One year. You know, and that was that was a little messy. But uh, you know that does bring up. We don't have it on our schedule to discuss it. But I think Colonel McGregor knew something about that yeah. and had worked with a uh, different way of getting out. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he was for <laughs> stay, staying Un- forever. Unfortunately, but, Trump put him in like with three days left in his presidency. Yeah, so it's so a little. That bit was, of a tall I know order. we were involved in that, but it yeah. didn't work. But it, it really that episode. Uh, I I hope it has helped McGregor. Yeah. Because he's identified now with something different uh, yeah. than the status quo of the military industrial complex. For so. sure. yeah. But but anyway, um, there was a there was an ar- article on anti-war and it was entitled In Rebuke of the Dishonorable David Petraeus. They didn't say uh, character-wise that he was anything very special. Yeah. He, he, he um, you, you know, compared to Trump, uh, which is something to do, I keep thinking, well, you know, uh, he, uh, he, he makes Trump look pretty good. Yeah, really, no kidding. <laughs> okay, but it's, it's, it's a year, and uh, Petraeus is defending himself. He thinks, he thinks we should have never left and we should continue <laughs> it, and um, that's always been my argument. How long do you want to stay? Yeah. And, uh, well, well, we can't lose face. Uh, do you want those people that died? Uh, what, 2,000 people died? Americans died? Oh, you don't want them to have died in vain. Yeah, Yeah. well, 20 years, uh, that's a long time. Yeah, but it's because uh, the the, uh, the the wimps wouldn't fight to win the war. Yeah. yeah, like did they really understand what Afghanistan was all about? If there's ever been one country that has been talked about and general population knows a little bit about uh, how the uh, Afghans and the Taliban and and uh, the tribal system has worked, it nobody ever conquers them. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. But in, anyway, we we went in and uh, we were really proud. Americans were proud of what we did uh, during the Cold War, where uh, we enticed, uh, we played games and enticed the Russians to come in. And the Russians went in, and they they got they got smart faster. They got yeah. out after, after a few years. They lost a lot of people, and and we were behind the scenes fighting them. So what did we do? Now we now well, I guess I guess the military industrial complex, the insiders decided they probably looked at this and said. Well, now it's ours. Yeah. So let's go in and secure it. So we'll send we'll send our our people in there. Uh, not their accountants and uh, the manufacturers, but the military. Yeah. They sent them in, and things have not worked out very well. You know that. Uh, you, know, you know, like we saw the people leaving uh, uh, in Vietnam uh, on the helicopter, the single helicopter. Now you see that. The, the huge cargo plane, yeah. of hundreds of people. It sort of really was tragic yeah. when you think about it. just tracing. What what were they going to do? What what if uh, the dog catches the car? You yeah. Know? yeah. But but anyway, uh, I, I I don't see too many lessons learned. Let's uh, hope there is, and let's emphasize uh, the best we can of why bad policies goes gets worse and there is another policy and it's really complicated it's called 
non-intervention, yeah. one word. Yeah. Understand that and understand the, how that's applied to the Constitution. And lo and behold, not the 2,000 people that were lost in Afghanistan, but the many other thousands yeah. and millions of other people that have died in the Middle East in this century. It's, it's a tragedy that could have been avoided. Yeah, and you're right about lessons not being learned because as soon as they stumble out of Afghanistan, now they're going ahead and stumbling into war with China and Russia oh, okay. over nothing, over the same level of nothingness, yeah. you know, lack of lack of importance to U.S. Uh, strategic interests. But you know, the, the, this this whole risk-free, the, the, there's nothing more risk-free than Petraeus saying, "Oh yeah, well we should have stayed," you know. But it's sort of hard to stomach after 20 years. We can put up that first clip because this is a piece by Sean McCarver in antiwar.com, and it's a critique of an article that Petraeus published in, of course, The Atlantic, uh, saying that we should never have left. Uh, but Shane McCarver points out 2,324 American service members killed, $2.3 trillion, and over 20 years later, convicted criminal and adulterer David Petraeus concludes, quote, in essence, from the beginning through to the end, but especially at the end, American commitment was lacking. It was lacking, Dr. Paul, 20 years of fighting dying, blowing up the country, displacing people, destroying the economy. Our commitment was lacking. We're slackers. You know, what's interesting, the way military people who uh, don't have their heart in defending the Constitution and non-intervention, that they, it, it boiled down from what I read there, and we've heard this before, it's technology and him instituting a sort of a military technology. It was called counterinsurgency. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I read it and I have a, you know, sort of an idea of what they're talking about, but it seems to be so irrelevant. I mean, do you think, do you think the success of the uh, World War II uh, after that, you know, after we got involved in that, do you think they were talking about counterinsurgency? Yeah. Hey, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, compared to the nonsense that has gone ever since, uh, not that you can defend everything that ever went on with World War II, yeah. but at, at least the attitudes were a little bit different. You know, uh, uh, there was a goal to win and get out, and uh, then we'll deal with what we won yeah. <laughs> after that. Well, let's put on this next clip because Shane McCarver has, I think, a great line, and it's one of those things that jump out at you because he gets it right here. He gets it perfectly. This is why it failed. This is why U.S. interventionism will always fail, why it will always backfire, will always end in disaster. I'm going to read this quote. With little knowledge of the history or intricacies of the areas in which they were deployed, American forces sought to work with the people that seemed the friendliest to their operation. Without knowing the historical implications of giving one tribe or family more power over the other. Petraeus repeatedly mentioned in his supposed success, mentioned his supposed success in Iraq, but failed to mention the collapse of the Iraqi army in 2014 in the face of an ISIS assault. And I think there's so much wisdom in this sentence. The U.S. went over there. It sent troops. It had no understanding of the language, the history, the complexities of Afghan society. Or for that, you can substitute any place that the U.S. has intervened in the, in the past, you know, forever. You go in there like a bull in a china shop, you turn things over, and then you look around and society is disintegrated and chaos and war ensue, and you're somehow surprised that they all didn't join the fight with the <laughs> Americans and fix their country. This is the naivete, the, the, the incompetence of the, of the global chessboard players, the people who want to intervene everywhere, and we're see, we see the results everywhere it's tried. 
There's a quote from this article that I found a little bit fascinating because it almost it wasn't, it was surreal. It didn't, I'm surprised at it, even though we shouldn't be surprised at any of the things. He, uh, this is um, Petraeus, they go on to say, Petraeus goes on to argue that Americans should have given the Afghan government's military more Russian-made helicopters <laughs> that the Afghans were able to maintain to support their troops. I guess they were left over for when the Russians were down <laughs> yeah. there or something. But that, so. it, boy, that, that was a big deal. That, that and his, his ability to, you know, perpetuate counterinsurgency. We would yeah. have won the war, just let us stay a little bit more. Yeah. We can give up another thousand people, who cares? But uh, he, he came up with this dopey doctrine, and when it failed, he didn't want to accept the fact that it failed. So he kept saying, you just didn't try it hard enough. You didn't try it hard <laughs> yeah. enough, you know. But there's another measure by which to judge the wisdom of the, of the uh, U.S. evacuation from Afghanistan. And The Economist, of all places, actually captured it well. If we can put on this next clip, there's a piece that came out, I believe, yesterday. Violence in Afghanistan has dropped under the Taliban. Love them, hate them, it doesn't matter. Things have gotten more or less more back to normal in Afghanistan. And here's a chart from this Economist article, if you put it on next. Overall, when you look at reported acts of violence after Kabul fell, quote unquote, to the Taliban, you see a general decrease and a positive trend of decreasing violence in the country. That in and of itself would say it's the right thing to do. Now, the departure was less than orderly, and we know that. <laughs> But I think we would argue that was inevitable from the beginning. And it wasn't, it was the fault not of us leaving, but as us having stayed so long. They never talk about that. They never they? talk about and it. And there was a participation by both parties, uh, Republican, Democrat presidents, and over 20 years, you know, there was a, uh, there's a lot of blame to go along. But that is the point. Who sent them there? Yeah. You know, coming home, it was sloppy and bad, and it made no sense, uh, and uh, things got worse. But, you know, I saw that, uh, that quote they were saying, well, at least there's less violence, uh, but unfortunately there's more poverty. Yeah. And that was the solution. Well, I have a little trouble with that because, uh, you know, there still is a strong central government, uh, a social dictatorship in a way. So I would say there is, a, if you add up everything, there's more state violence. It's a little, you know, because of an authoritarian yeah, government, you can't yeah. get them more authoritarian. So there's more state violence. And, uh, and then, then they, uh, uh, they, the poverty is obviously getting worse and will get worse. Uh, ours will too. Uh, but the other thing that I would add is a decrease of liberty. Yeah. As, as bad as we were being there, we weren't creating, you know, a free society. We were, we were fighting to make them good Democrats. Yeah. We need to spread democracy and, and, and peace. And the democracy how it always gets me. We're going, we're going over there to fight this war to show about a d democracy and protect our Constitution. Well, how in the world did our Constitution get protected over the last, last, last 20 years? Protect the Constitution and liberty and democracy. Yeah. And, and the, you know, those words still, 
you put them out there, you know, and if you look at the major stations, and maybe there's one or two stations that will, you, you know, modify that a little bit. But everybody said, well, that's a good goal. These are good people. That's their good, intent good intentions. Yeah, good <laughs> intentions. Well, you know, the chaotic departure from Afghanistan was really, if you want to blame someone, you would blame the fact that Washington, again, believed its own lies. Remember they were saying, Oh, the Afghan government's going to hold. The military's not going to fold. You know, within 25 minutes, the whole thing <laughs> fell apart. Right. Either they're completely incompetent, our entire intelligence community, for which we pay billions of dollars, is completely incompetent, or they just flat out lied, or some combination of the two. But that's where the blame should lie. But you know, you mentioned the um, the poverty. If we can put up this next clip, this is also this is from our friend Dave DeCamp at Anti-War. Uh, good piece out there today. One year after Taliban takeover, U.S. refuses to release Afghan funds. Now, anywhere else, this would simply be called theft. We're holding $7 billion of Afghan bank reserves. We took the money. We stole it fair and square. Um, but we refuse to return it even in the face of poverty right now in Afghanistan, even in the fact that they are struggling to eat. And here's a quote from the article. Put the next one up. This is the insanity of it. Earlier this year, President Biden said he would make half of the $7 billion in central bank reserves available for families of 9-11 victims, even though the people of Afghanistan had nothing to do with the attacks. You know, we obviously have plenty of sympathy for 9-11 victims, but Afghanistan didn't do it. Neither did Saddam Hussein, neither did, you know, Elmer Fudd. Uh, <laughs> these were all made up. So stealing the money from these people to pay for the victims of 9-11 Makes no sense. That's it reminds me. Of, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I said that didn't make up for it. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say we also steal 80 percent of Syria's oil. So we're basically a global kleptocracy. You know, we're. <laughs> well, you know, I doubt very much if we've re we've returned a little bit to Iran, but I bet we haven't returned at all. But that <clears throat> that was the whole thing. That was the big issue when I think it was under uh, by, uh, under uh, Obama. He, he sent some of this money back. Uh, who knows what his motivations were because they weren't, uh, he had not been identified with us at yeah. all. So he, he returned some, but the hysteria yeah. on the military right and uh, the military industrial complex, what are you doing? And, and they never once said, well, we stole it from them. Yeah. We're trying to get along with them. So, but they never mentioned that because I think most American people, if they have heard the honest explanation on that, and that uh, this is going to be done to try try to work for a world of peace rather than just perpetuating a war for 20 years, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's and that that's gone on. Actually, that fight's gone on long and still there. Some days it perks up and looks a little bit better than other days. Not so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, our next segment, I guess we would call it COVID weirdness and vaccine corruption. And let's put on this first clip. This is, I think, this photo will be, should be in the Wikipedia page when COVID is all said and done. Goofy U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin wearing some kind of god-awful outfit with 38 masks on and a, and a face shield. Well, here's the news from yesterday. Thanks to our friend Jordan Schachtel for his analysis. Keep it up, please. Lloyd Austin got his booster in October of 2021. Then he got COVID in January 2022. After that, he had another booster, shot number four. He got COVID again today. Works like a charm. So here he is, four shots and two COVIDs later. Works like a charm. And here's the next one. Just heard about this this morning. Uh, just in, 
quadruple vaccinated Jill Biden infected with COVID. The person who retweeted said safe and effective. So, and we talked about Joe Biden himself. We talked about the actual manufacturer, the Pfizer CEO. Over and over again, we're seeing people that got all their shots and they're getting COVID one, two, three, four times, who knows how many times. It's really not a very good ad campaign for the shots. But, but it's so, so weird that uh, they're able to, at least so far, they're making the attempt to say, thank goodness I took the <laughs> dumb shot. Yeah. And one of these days, especially now that some lawsuits are appearing, you know, and people are suing, and it's being recognized more outside of the United States that there's been injury. But more and more of that, and these same people say, well, it did me a lot of good, you know, I'm, I, I would have been sicker at the same time they're continuing to do the same thing uh, and, and taking taking these shots at the same times even even the establishment is breaking out or matter of fact if they're true lawsuits it doesn't mean so much the establishment is giving up on it as much as the people yeah the the, the juries would more represent the people knowing a lot far a lot more than than what the government is telling us so they're ruling in favor of the victims and uh we'll put that down as a little positive yeah so i mean we talked about borla yesterday where he said these vaccines are 100 percent effective <laughs> you know and we're seeing a lot of that it's funny Anna, you had mentioned people being grateful that they got the shot even though they also got the virus here's a little compilation that's been making the rounds on twitter if we can put up Skip that uh, statement from, from Jill Biden and just go to that next one, this collection. And it's gonna be a little hard to read perhaps, but these are people, Elizabeth Warren, Albert Borla, Barack Obama, Mayor Lightfoot, Gavin Newsom. They literally, Dr. Paul, are all saying the same thing. This can't be a coincidence. Here's Barack Obama, just tested positive for COVID. Got a scratchy throat a couple days, feeling quite fine otherwise. Michelle and I are grateful to be vaccinated and boosted. Gavin Newsom, grateful to be vaccinated. Mayor Lightfoot, I credit being vaccinated and boosted. Albert Borla, thankful to receive four doses. Elizabeth Warren, grateful for the protection. Representative Welch, grateful for the protection, uh, etc. Hillary Clinton, I'm grateful than ever for the protection. They are literally writing the same lines. How is it possible that such a massive coincidence of people getting the shots, then getting COVID, then writing the exact same sentence about how they're grateful that they got the shots. It's, it's good democracy because <laughs> it looks now like even if you're in, are, are, are part of the insiders, if you don't do what we tell you, you can get canceled too, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you won't belong here, so we'll do it and we'll keep, we'll, we'll keep everybody together, uh, totally naive and, and killing themselves. And just think of all the nonsense about how much they have put through the, the young people and they continue to do it. So uh, the uh, other thing is, is uh, there's hundreds of thousands of RNA victims deaths, millions of injuries now. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's getting it's getting uh, higher all the time. And then uh, the, the stupidity of it all on uh, getting these vaccines uh, what we, what was the story about one vaccine that, that they uh, advised and they got approval yeah oh but the Pomer not to yeah yeah but they but the claim now by people who I think are probably more knowledgeable said it never existed it yeah. still doesn't exist it never will exist yet it's been approved yeah and oh, I wonder who made that one yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was interesting because that's Jordan Schachtel has written about this a lot and we both noticed this the Lou link to it today 
that the FDA-approved version is Comirnaty. The emergency use, of course, is just the Pfizer BioNTech jab. And he has uh, proven, Schachtel has, that they've never manufactured the one that has actually been approved. They just continue to manufacture the formula, the recipe of the original one. I don't know exactly what it means. Some people speculate that they might have, they might remove some of their immunity from lawsuits if they use an approved one or that the government could be liable. I don't know the details, but some people speculate that's what it is. I don't understand it. It's, it's one of well, the mysteries. Well, uh, I sort of understand it, that some people are involved in making decisions that they know they don't have a moral right to be involved in. And this should be done in the marketplace by doctor-patient relationships and, and working it out. But now it's uh, government-run medicine is what it is. And it's really run by the pharmaceutical companies. And it has nothing to do with medicine. You yeah. know, it, that's absent from it now. So I think that is worse than ever. There's probably been combinations. But I would say that uh, this is the worst. But we see glimpses of this, these people that we follow are, are talking about it. You know, this whole idea, I think we've won a minor victory so far on natural immunity. Yeah. You're almost allowed to say it. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't have to worry about being canceled because you and I have talked recently about <laughs> uh, natural immunity. <laughs> but there for a while, all you had to do was mention it yeah. and they'd get punished. Yeah. Now that has to be about anti-intellectual as you can get. Yeah. That's why they shouldn't be in this business. Yes, it's imperfect when it's left to the marketplace, but there are rules, uh, you know, there, there are rules when you mess up and people are, people are suffer from their false promises and all, uh, that they're going to be liable in, co in court. So what's the first thing the drug companies have done over decades now is get themselves exempted yeah. from the liability and the Democrats and Republicans go and defend that stuff and eliminate a vehicle which, uh, you know, is, is part of the marketplace. The same way with, with contracts, you know, if, if you, the voluntary contract in many issues of medicine or whatever, education, everything, they, they should, uh, uh, they, they, they shouldn't be permitted. You know, you should be able to do these things, but oh no, that's a, that just, that, uh, you know, violates the state law or the Supreme Court or something. You, you can't do that and uh, and then you say we will dictate what uh, what they are, are going to learn and their courses and everything else and that's really where the ideological battle is it's been in the educational system from kindergarten all the way up you yeah. know it uh, I think it's incestuous it's all the way up because I've seen kids in kindergarten come reciting things that uh, made no sense, yeah. but it came from their teachers. And uh, and 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 look at what they come out of our universities, you know, uh, just because they, you know, oh, I went to the university and I have a teacher certificate yeah. now. That's their license to, uh, you know, spread a message which is uh, contra contradictory to uh, what this country is all about. And the thing we've always said is there might be a certain person in a certain category where the shot might make a lot of sense. But now, as you've always said, but once you destroy the doctor-patient relationship and you pursue a top-down, one-size-fits-all approach, you're going to do a lot more harm than good rather than letting the doctor and the patient themselves try to figure out what's the best course of action for that individual person. And I'm going to, I'm going to kick it back to you, but I, in the same vein of this sort of weird coincidence, let's put up this next clip because we've seen this all around as well. 
Um, happy, this is a tweet, happy one year anniversary of them reassure you, reassuring you that means, doesn't mean they don't work. And these are a collection of different mainstream media articles and they basically all say the same thing and say the same quote. Why breakthrough COVID-19 infections don't mean the vaccine isn't working? And you've got Wall Street Journal, you've got Washington Post, you've got CNN, you've got NPR, all literally saying the same thing. Just a collection of mainstream media articles with the same quotes. Do you ever get the feeling you're being gaslit by the mainstream and by the elites, you know? Yeah. There's a short paragraph here that I want to read, and it's from the article of Naomi, uh-huh. uh, Naomi Wolf. And that has to do with uh, who gets sick and uh, are, are they are they really protected by having the vaccine, you know, uh-huh. which it, which they're not. And if you have the if you have the boosters, you might be in worse shape. But uh, Alan Root is a libertarian, but he's on the radio and he talks about his wedding. He says Root had pointed out that of 200 guests at his wedding eight months earlier, 26 of those who had been seriously ill or injured and seven had died. That's serious business. And all of these were vaccinated. Wow. Root was also had said that among the, his friends and family who had been at his wedding who were unvaccinated, Wow, none of his knowledge, none to his knowledge, had gotten sick or died. Huh. Now, you'd think that you'd think there would be a motivation who's seeking scientific truth and good scientific medicine, you know, might investigate that and have a real good study of this. Yeah. But you know, the billions and billions of dollars that are stolen from uh, patients and the cost of medicine going up, doing just nothing more than uh, studies for propaganda purposes and to subsidize the uh, the drug companies. Yeah. And, but uh, this is the kind of stuff that should have been investigated. But uh, I happen to think, uh, you know, that uh, he's doing his very best to tell the exact truth on that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to Naomi Wolf for mentioning that. Well, I'm going to close out, if we're ready, Dr. Paul, with a reminder that we are exploring this and other aspects of the police state. We can put up that last clip again to remind you. In our upcoming conference, Anatomy of a Police State, COVID tyranny, uh, the destruction of our privacy, uh, the police state, the economic aspects of the police state. Uh, It's all going to be discussed on September 3rd at our sixth, I would say, annual, but we missed a year, Dr. Paul, as you recall, when they laughed at us for wanting to have a conference in 2020. Our sixth Washington conference, Anatomy of a Police State. There is a link in the description to click on and get your tickets. Get them while they're hot. Get them while they're left. We've got a few left, and we want to see you on September 3rd. Dr. Paul? Very good. And I'm sure the subject of the FBI may come up at oh, that yeah. conference, <laughs> too. And it's, it's been around. It, you know, and somebody I mentioned it on a radio program the other day, sort of a conservative libertarian, but it, it's, it's uh, knowledge that's been around. And that is, you know, the FBI was started, you know, around World War II. And uh, w- what they did, it was, you know, this fellow called Joe, J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. And, it, and if you look at his history and what he did, how powerful, you know, he is almost making these guys looks like looks like uh, you know amateurs. Yeah. And he he knew immediately what he could do with it, and it was he was a blackmailer. Yeah. And, 
But uh, back a then, <laughs> back, back then, uh, there were some things that uh, you you know uh, could could be used for blackmailing a lot faster than what they have today. But you know, it was almost it was a bad idea at the beginning, you know. And yet, it's nothing nothing more has happened. It's gotten much worse. But it's a, once again, it's the principle, and that is who who should be really responsible for for our safety. And there's no place in the Constitution that says well the responsibility falls on the government. The federal government, the state government, the local government, they'll make you safe and secure. The whole thing is, if, if that is the purpose, they can't do that without the total destruction of liberty because they have to know exactly what the people are doing and where they are and where to send the policemen to protect you. It, it's total nonsense. What you have to do is uh, re release the creative energy and the desire and the, and the principles of, of, uh, of responsibility and individuals should be responsible. But in a way, the undermining of that, of that system also coincides with the uh, uh, propaganda. They say good people have no right to own, own guns. Only rich people that live in cl closed communities and government agents, IRS agents, now we have 87,000 more of them, they're the ones who should wield the guns. So it always seems to be popular when they can find a clip on TV and showed how a property owner stood up and did something which almost always they end up getting into more trouble than the criminals. But I think more, there will be more and more of that people deciding I'm standing up for my life, you know, and my, and my liberties because uh, that, the, the system that we've had here for these many years endorsed and run by both Republican and Democrat is not very good and we're not very safe and we're also very broke. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.